Hello again and welcome to Revolution from Your Bed podcast. Today we have an amazing guest who is a great friend of mine. Hi, Ivana. Hello, hello. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you. So you're the first guest for podcast. Prepared interview. We are going to talk about from our beds. And in our case, it's entrepreneurship revolutions in healthcare. And I just wanted to have an open conversation with you about the, the cool stuff you're doing in Belgrade. And to thank you for joining. That's the first thing. So really, thank you. I'm really glad to have you as a friend. And you're doing amazing stuff. And can you tell the people that are listening to us, what exactly do you do? What is the main thing that you're engaging right now? Perfect. Yes. Thank you for inviting me. And I'm very happy to collaborate with you because I know you do great things. And I didn't even know much about this podcast. But as soon as you asked me, I, I said yes because I think you're always contributing to, to great. Uh, so hello from Belgrade, Serbia. Corona time and being stuck in home during the working day, it's not really pleasant, but also it enables me to do everything that I want to do or much more than I would do from an office. And I'm currently a tech transfer associate at the Innovation Fund and also co-founder of Health Tech Club, which is the... Serbian health tech ecosystem. This and, uh, is just in, in, in short. And I had a chance to work with you in actually both hats. I've been active uh, too in the Serbian health tech kind of community in the last two years, coming to mentor already a few times. And I think that you have a very unique model in the health tech hub because health you tech are... Club. Yes, the lab, sorry, lab. <laughs> um, you're targeting of entrepreneurs or, or kind of, in my view, the, the way I saw the batches of those entrepreneurs, there are a lot of older people, but also I met a bunch of high school students starting a startup and the university students, and I thought it's super rare and cool. So can you tell us more about that? Yes, yes. I think it's a great question. We are organizing an ecosystem in Serbia, which is developing country and Coming from MIT, I needed something that is nearly impossible to do or that it sounds impossible. And creating health tech ecosystem in Serbia sounded just about right. <laughs> you know, something really impossible to do. And so we're, we really, from the first day, we were building something that did not exist, that seemed impossible, that, you know, you, you're really starting from scratch. And in order to do that, and all the startups that you've seen, they're really something that we created from the day one and some of the startups initiated their solutions but they didn't know how to continue and in that sense you know building something new we couldn't really target anyone we couldn't set some goals that we want to reach at the beginning but we were actually supporting everything there is and then stimulating additionally through hackathons or through meetups showing what has been done so far uh, in the rest of the world to, to stimulate people, for them to start thinking about local solutions and how can they contribute on Serbian and a global scene. So and in that sense, we didn't target like young or older entrepreneurs or specific area in health. It was all spontaneous in terms of what did people find out really critical to address at this time in these conditions in Serbia. And these are mostly chronic conditions and 
usually the solutions come from students and young people. I guess they're mostly connected to what's going on in the world. And we're also trying to change that in a sense to educate professors and older, elder generation that is not so prone to, to innovation and let's say novel things, but they're following and supporting their students, which is the first necessary I'm... step. <laughs> It's really cool because I must say that I've been mentoring uh, across Europe in several health hubs, like in the Vienna Health Hub and a few in Tel Aviv and in Belgrade and now in Switzerland in the Cohesh Lab. And, and what I'm seeing in Belgrade is something completely different. First of all, the state of mind of entrepreneurs is something that it's the closest thing to Tel Aviv, actually. People wow. are really enthusiastic. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's a compliment uh, coming from Startup Nation, but people are very enthusiastic, hardworking. And I think that it's really rare to find an accelerator or, or incubator or a program that try to push innovation or startups forward that is not only business-oriented, but it's actually patient-oriented. You know, kind of, we want to help chronic ill people. We want to, to give solutions for problems that people have every day. And to save lives of people. And I really like your approach because it's really hands-on and it really corresponds with this revolution theme that we have here in this podcast and, and the YouTube channel and everything that I do. So I wanted to ask, is it coming from a personal place of you or your co-founder or is it something that you just realized that it's more needed? So to quickly answer... It's both. And then I'm going to answer separately to each of your questions. Uh, so Damian is uh, another co-founder of Health Tech Club. And the moment we met was the MIT hackathon that I organized in Belgrade. And he opened the hackathon. He was at the time also uh, president of the Patient Association of Serbia, who gathered around 35 active patient associations, but he was also founder of Blue Circle, a patient association with diabetes, and he's patient himself. And it was really great to put patients first from that first event, which was Hackathon. He brought around 10 or more patient associations. They were actively participating. They were interacting with designers and engineers and scientists and they form multidisciplinary teams and they were really happy just motivated as you mentioned and even the designers and engineers really were eager to help no matter what happens on hackathon no matter what happens later on they kept in touch and i think they brought those solutions to life and so i think this was the big thing that we've changed and i think we try to keep it through every our event or goal or everything that we do and I think it's really important and I think it's missing everywhere in the world. As I always like to quote you, you know, this is the health industry is the only industry where the patients are not included in the whole process. And I think this should be changed and we are giving our best, if not always, then uh, most of the times to, to do that. It's, it's really always touching me to hear that because it's, it's so rare to have eventually business solutions. Most of them will have some sort of business model that are deriving from what I call patient innovation, patient-led innovation, and not only market needs or some sort of market fit that investors look for, that we, we want something that will bring a lot of money, but a lot of times it's completely remote from the needs of, of patients. Not that doctors don't need innovation. Of course, that any medical professional need the, his workspace to be as best as possible, but it's always 
always kind of excites me to hear about what you're doing. So basically, I would agree that. I would have to add one more point. It's great that you mentioned that. I think investors in this area are really specific people. And even for them, there is need for additional education or interaction even with patients or medical system. I think there is still a huge gap between investors and patients or generally medical systems or medical challenges. And I think some kind of education and interaction between these two worlds is quite necessary. And we're, we're also thinking about uh, activities that could enhance this area. It leads me to exactly the, the next phase that is really related to what you're doing. Kind of, we know a lot about university tech transfer, but what you're doing is basically you, you also work with teams of students who come up with great ideas. How does it work that students come to their professors saying, oh, we have this crazy idea to, to change people's lives? And how can you facilitate such a, an orthodox process in a regular academic setting? Yes, I think in, in any country, it's challenging to, to actually do this whole process of researching and coming to some results and solutions, but then it's whole other world of learning about business and industry and transferring that knowledge to the world. And specifically in Serbia, because the procedures and everything is being established at the moment, so we're basically following the world and more established universities and trying to implement and adjust all at the same time. And so it's not only students, it's also um, most of them also professors and uh, seniors, senior faculties. I think at this moment, uh, we are basically working with uh, early adopters, I would say like that. Those professors and those academics and those students that research themselves, that really try to understand a bit of details of tech transfer. What does it mean? And, you know, how can they really use their scientific results in a real world? But definitely takes time and promotion and investment of solutions and, you know, probably some good cases. Uh, for most of professors and students in Serbia and this ecosystem to start thinking like that, to start applying to projects, to start interacting in this way. I think we're on a good way, but there is a long way to go to actually make it a standard. And definitely uh, this group of early adopters is, is pretty good. And I hope they w- that we will soon have good results with most of professors and students. And if um, I'm a patient right now listening to, to our conversation and says, yes, but I cannot join any acceleration program or, or incubation program. If I have an idea, I'm basically lying in bed. Do you think that in today's world, especially during Corona, can I actually start an idea and maybe even get it to the market from, I will kind of uh, put brackets, uh, air brackets from bed? Can I really start something from scratch and bring it to a maturity level or an MVP from bed or from home? Uh, I would say yes. And I would say now is always the best time to do it. I was really inspired actually about patient groups in Boston during second part of my PhD. I think Boston is inspiration for, for entrepreneurship, for medicine, for patients, for business and I've seen a lot of patient groups active on Facebook and social networks. And it was really inspirational. And also I was introduced to some of the groups during a pediatric hackathon as well. And even the the parents at the time. And 
I think those networks really are change makers, and I think they're they they should and that they are initiating uh, a lot of changes all over the world. And I think, of course, it's really important for everyone to do that. But I guess also not every patient has a strength or uh, conditions or whatever we call it, right? That they they are in different settings, and I think those groups and associations are really supportive to for patients' voices to be heard for those that cannot, so let's say, start changes on their own. No, it gives me actually an idea because I lead a patient association in Israel. Our patient society is focused on my illness, POT syndrome and dysautonomia. Um, and and it's amazing to see the great ideas coming, but the facilitation is very difficult because you have a lot of ideas coming from patients and solutions, but how, how can you facilitate it as a patient advocate or patient activist? Exactly. Yes. I, I think you need to have, let's say in Damian's case or in case of Serbia, you have, you need to have a good advocate. And I think the patients of Serbia were really lucky in the last few years to have Damian and he's very communicative and has integrity and really fought for rights of patients, of children, and so on. And I think, actually, uh, the, the social networks and this kind of organizations and specific people are really uh, the key to, to make a change. Uh, people like you also, who are determined to you know, change the world in, in impossible conditions, I think this is what the world needs. But I wouldn't say that I have you know, all, the, all the solutions. And I think each case and each disease is pretty unique. And this is what, what we should also support, that there is not one solution that fits all, but that really everyone should somehow self-organize around these specific conditions of that specific disease and then try to make a local community that could support that idea. I, I really agree with you. This idea of micro-patient communities is something yeah. I'm trying to push I'm, I'm trying to copy the Israeli model that uh, it's called Dysautonomia Israel. I'm trying to copy paste it into Turkey and Austria and Cyprus and other countries. I've been approached by different patients and they always tell me it's so hard to set up a community. And I'm like, you don't even have to register anything legally. <laughs> you just need to open a Facebook group and says, this is Dysautonomia Cyprus. And people will, with the right tag words, you know, people would look for other illness sharer and they will join you eventually. And another thing I wanted to say about it is that it's not only about inventing new technologies. You know, we did something cool in Israel that we are recommended to do this rehabilitation program that they do in, in America. And it's, it's called the Dallas program because it invested, invented in the Presbyterian Hospital in Dallas. And of course, that the NGOs that are leading the HMOs in Israel and hospitals they're not going to start an entire rehabilitation facility for uh, 200 people. So what we did is kind of more, call it kind of bureaucratical innovation. We just realized that the heart rehabilitation program for people that had heart attack is completely almost similar to ours. And the innovation there was in the mindset that we actually managed to convince the authorities to open the gates of those rehabilitation programs and to put those young people with POTS alongside with the cardiology patients and do the same program, and you see amazing results. So it's not only inventing a new technology, it's also thinking outside the box to improve your condition. Yeah. I completely agree, yes. I think 
innovation, it's not only in technology, and this is also what we're trying to show through Health Club, just reorganizing a community and setting some goals and design criteria. I think it's quite important and that we show that now it's actually supported and appreciated that for what we are doing, it's not actually technology or innovation in technology, but actually being supportive and making a supportive community something also that can contribute for innovations to thrive even probably more of them than if we would focus just on one solution. And also one moment or a message that you mentioned, it's to actually spread communities. And this is also what we're trying to do with Health Tech Club. We also won recently an award of from International Telecommunication Union as the best ecosystem practice. And hopefully this will initiate our practices, not only in Serbia, but in the region of the Western Balkans and then other developing countries, but also being supported by uh, already developed health ecosystems of Israel, UK, US, EU, and so on. And I think also patient associations of those local countries will be involved, hopefully. And definitely the whole ecosystem is quite important for thematic changes to happen and for innovations to be supported locally. I think that it's something super important, this idea of sharing and using existing models. Look at the case of TEDx, what they did. Like TED was a very, very elitistic organization like 20 years ago. You needed to pay like $6,000 to go into an event. And then the new owner of the organization, Mr. Anderson, Chris Anderson, decided that he wants to open it. So he just said, hey, let's, <laughs> let's have this franchise. Let's take this best practice model and open it. And I think that there has been more than 5,000 events already around the world, if, if I'm not mistaken, probably much more now since I started my activity with the TEDx organization. I think it's beautiful. And young entrepreneurs need to remember that it's not about ego here. And if somebody else did already best practice and they have great success and they are willing to share this success with you, it's great to collaborate and open you know, the local charter of, of the same idea. I would love to help you guys in Israel. My okay. patient organization would love to be a part in Israel and also other countries that I'm active in. Of course, I'll do anything to help right. you. You're spreading good yeah. in the world. I love that you mentioned TEDx. I was also inspired by Starbucks and McDonald's. And like they made it, if they made French franchise you know, all over the world, why there is not a franchise of something that is really crucial and so important like Caltech ecosystem or supporting innovations in health in each part of the world. And I think that was actually what initiated this idea of, of sharing what we're doing and what is a good practice in our own community. And this copy-paste patient community is something we are working on right now. We're trying to build this starter kit for other POT patients and dysautonomic patients around the world because there are millions of them and it's not, it's not even a rare disease anymore, I'm afraid, because a lot of factors like Lyme disease that is causing POT and mm-hmm. now COVID has been proven to cause POT too. A lot of those symptoms we see after COVID are actually POT syndrome that is Coming up, we don't really know exactly why, but I think it's going to be a great pusher in research. Um, But what we're trying to do is just instead of having other people work so hard like we did for years, just to give them the tools they need to start their own patient community and support them. And I think it's super easy just to share. And as an entrepreneur, I think it's my obligation to share from my, especially share mistakes, because success, everybody wants to pick up on your success. But 
I did a lot of mistakes with any project I made. Mm-hmm. And I think um, it's one of my responsibilities to kind of help prevent mistakes. I wanted to, to ask you something about it because it's really interesting. I've been approached by a lot of patients that mm-hmm. wants to do either to start their own patient group or to start their own student club regarding innovation or even their own startup. But there is this fear of starting that nobody will listen to me. Nobody really? will in me. Israel? There is fear of... No, not in Israel, I must say. In Israel, everybody thinks is the CEO of Wix <laughs> or, you know. Um, we have this good ego of being kind of fearless. I think it's part of the culture and it can, can lead to a lot of failure in startup, but at least you're starting and trying it. Yeah, this is what I loved about Israel. You know, everyone told me when you're on a bus station, you'll probably hear all people around you talking about their startups. So yeah. it's really amazing. Yeah. In Tel Aviv, yes, uh, Jerusalem, Haifa. I think that this startup nation is more of a state of mind. And I'm talking about a state of mind a lot in this podcast and in my YouTube channel and in my new book that I'm working on. I think that getting better, it's all about state of mind and starting something. It doesn't have to be a startup. It doesn't have to be a business that changes people's life. It's all about state of mind. And I think that this is the problem with those young entrepreneurs that they think that if it's not a 100% success, they're not going to even try. And it doesn't work this way, right? You've seen many, many, many entrepreneurs fail probably. How can you push a young person with an idea to actually go and do something about it? Uh, you mean to do about just keep trying or... Yes, I, these days actually what is very, let's say, popular is to push female entrepreneurship and to motivate more women in science and entrepreneurship. And I think it's really important. But I think more than that, it's also to inspire boys and girls, males and females in these kind of characteristics which are necessary for science and for entrepreneurship. And this is uh, to be resilient, to, you know, not to give up on every block or wall or person that is on your way. And For me, it was always uh, having a goal or something that you want to do. And this would lead me, you know, no matter what, to actually jump over all the rocks on the road. And this is actually what I would recommend as well for for people, you know, to see what they want to do and what is the, the final goal and where they would like to see themselves. That would actually, but everything else or all other Uh, characteristics are really something that is built on over time and by listening to successful people and to people who failed I think it's all useful to learn from other people's examples and also to read from your area and then from outside of your area the books to watch movies to just you know educate yourself and this is how you're going to build the mindset that you mentioned and you'll see where are you in the world and what would you like to do and how would you like to improve the conditions that are happening at the moment but i think you know starting from early age from education it's something also where the government and everyone else should be involved this is also that I've, something that i've seen in israel as well where this entrepreneurial spirit is actually brought in in kindergarten even where there are some of the games where children cannot play on their own but actually in order to use those games they need help of other kids And this is where they learn to collaborate, to make partnerships and to help each other. And to actually that to bring something great and new, you need a partner and help and to communicate with others, to communicate your idea, your goals and so on. So I think it starts early on and 
definitely it's not gender-based. Definitely not, not gender-based, and you're right. And I think that everybody's trying kind of to figure out what is the secret sauce of Israel. I have my own opinion about it because if it was Finland in the same case, I would say that completely the educational system is designed completely towards it. I would say that it's actually despite a lot of things and not because of a lot of things that we have so much entrepreneurship. I think that eventually Israel is kind of an island. Geopolitically speaking, we had to survive a lot of threats and wars, just like you, Serbia. We have a lot in, in common and, and nothing was kind of granted, you know, and we always felt maybe kind of alone. And you grew up with this sense that if you don't do something, kind of nothing will happen because nothing is for granted. And I see in other countries in Europe, I'm based in Vienna. I'm, I'm from Tel Aviv. I'm based in Vienna. I've seen in maybe other more uh, richer parts of Europe that entrepreneurship is more laid back because worst case you'll fail and your life is not going to be changed so much in terms of financials mm-hmm. or stability. And I think that this is not a very good pusher for entrepreneurship. But on the other hand, I'm not expecting entrepreneurs to move to a developing country just because they need to feel more struggle. I think that we should copy those values to to other countries who want to teach entrepreneurship. What I've seen in countries that experienced war in the recent 20 years or so, like Serbia and Israel and, uh-huh. and other, even Cyprus, you know, because they have some sort of tension there. I've seen that people are more inclined into risk, maybe, I would say. Do, would you agree with that? Yes, definitely. I would, but I think there are also more factors. We definitely, as Israel and Serbia, we had similar conditions and a lot of war, but I think we're not both definitely startup nations. We are on the way and we are still learning from you. So I think there is a few more characteristics or something that definitely puts Israel ahead of other nations in in this field and in this area. But I think also it's very important to to follow up for each nation, to find out their own motives and motivation and to see what are the conditions that in Austria, let's say they, they have like say a lot of funding and, you know, for some startups, this is probably good because they feel safe and, you know, maybe they can experiment more or fail more just because of that. But in Serbia, I think we're, I would say, mostly or more inspired by tech and solutions and what we can produce. And this is the main motive and inspiration for most of the entrepreneurs. And they see, you know, how can they help or interconnect their technology with the customer, the end user, the patient, whatever, I think. This is from from my experience and from what I've seen. So I think it's also good to keep, you know, your own mark as as country, as as where you're working and, you know, trying to adjust that and use it in the best possible way. Because there are advantages and disadvantages in, in each community. <laughs> and that's of course. And, but, but I think that there is something beautiful about Serbia that I haven't seen in a lot of other places is that you have support from other countries like Switzerland and, and they actually pay to bring world-class mentors to help your startup. And when I speak to mentors coming from Israel. They're very enthusiastic about coming to Serbia. I think it's, it's the warmness of the people and the kindness and the sense that you kind of feel at home 
really almost immediately. And we're here to work. It's not like in, in a lot of other places, I've seen that it's very kind of black tie kind of entrepreneurial environment. And in Serbia and Israel, it's kind of, okay, we ate something, we drank something, let's work. <laughs> and especially ate and drank in, in your case. And um, <laughs> I, I really liked it. And I think that, I don't know how many investors are listening to us, but I think that Serbia is such a wonderful place to start a startup. I don't know in terms of the legal structure and so on so much, but it, the talent of people, the hardworking kind of mentality is something that I was really impressed and I would definitely recommend and I already have for companies I advise to, to consider hiring. Uh, recently, we had um, a conversation between both of us and actually uh, we recommended a company in Austria to hire a, a local developer because we don't see it a lot here in, in Austria, for instance, that students are willing to, to just say, I will work all the free times that I have because learning by working is going to get me much farther than just learning and then starting to work. I think this is the right approach. What do you think about that? Yes, I, I agree with that. I think you notice very well that Serbia was in the past and course now in between the developed and developing countries and we had a lot of wars because our geography is specific and a lot of nations pass through and I think somehow uh, we learn to communicate with with both worlds and I think you can still see that whether it's in our genes or in our culture or whatever but it's there and I think this is something also that we should keep in our entrepreneurial endeavors and everything that we do in the future, because I think it's our strong point to be able to communicate with the East and the West and developed and underdeveloped countries. And this is something that has been really in our history and our genes. And I completely agree. So we should definitely use uh, the, the best characteristics and, and potentials that we have that are surrounding us and, and use them uh, for the best. You know, I, I, I've been mentoring in your, in your last latest batch of Imagine If, the, the entrepreneurship program. I will let you explain about it after this question. And I've seen that there are a few companies that are actually doing something brilliant because a lot of companies, for instance, in Israel, they want to try a pilot or some sort of POC and then run to the States or in some cases to Europe, but mainly to the States. And I've seen companies in Serbia that are, trying their product along uh, the area of the Balkan. It's easier maybe because of the, uh, the language similarity and the culture similarity and the connections, but they try it in a few countries in the Balkan and they, they come with such a strong point to Europe and States. So I think it's a wonderful approach and I would like you to answer this and also to explain about the other program because I think it's also a very cool one. Yes, thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. Imagine if, uh, yes, it's... Uh first pre-acceleration program for health, health tech startups in Serbia. And Health Tech Club organized it together with Science Technology Park Belgrade and Innovation Forum from Cambridge, UK. And this was second year in a row. So you opened this second batch just before the corona started. So it was quite challenging, but we've made it. And we have now a finalist, uh, Baby FM, that will attend the global finale next year in Barcelona. Hopefully. Wonderful company, <laughs> wonderful product, and they became friends of me too, kind of outside of the program. It's actually a great team, uh, you know. Great team. That, that's the most important. They do in parallel several different things, and they're developing different solutions, but I think the, the core of 
their greatness is their team. They have a doctor and then engineer and a programmer and Tamara, who is there as a business developer and marketing person. So I think they've covered it all and they're really greatest people. So I think this is their strongest asset. I think the jury also mentioned that. And of course, we're looking forward to next steps and their international exposure to see what will happen next. But yes, definitely, I think the the region, it's of course something that all startups and everyone see as their first step. It's again, history and the language and everyone feels safe. It's a safe environment where everything is known, similar, but still it's outside of our country. Even though I think politically and now some next steps overall are that this is still, you know, one market and we'll have also a lot of benefits and tax reduction and hopefully many other benefits for for startups. So I think this is what is the global or let's say strategy of the whole region. And of course, we we always push startups to to think globally and to find solutions that, you know, solve some local problems, but that could be also used globally in, of course, strongest market. I, I would definitely keep an eye on the Balkan in general. For me as an entrepreneur, I would love to mentor more in the Balkan and to help more young startups and also social ventures. It's very important for me, all these uh, NGOs and social area. I want to go back for one second to, you mentioned Tamara and this wonderful Baby FM team. And I never seen outside of Israel teams like that, that the people there are kind of multitaskers. <laughs> and she, she's doing a PhD in uh, biomedical science, if I'm not mistaken. And she's a TV producer and she's an entrepreneur and a business developer. And like, <laughs> this is what, something you see in Israel, that people are, you know, that and that and that and that together. And this is an amazing recipe for a good entrepreneur because you can actually connect some words together. And that's why I liked this team so much when I was mentoring. We sometimes see amazing engineers coming together with a solution, but then they like the business or business people like in the technology, mm-hmm. yeah. doctors and so on. I think that what I saw in, in your kind of program is that people are really, really, I will call them renaissance entrepreneurs. <laughs> Thank you. I think all mentors and jury and people, even mentors from MIT that were here and the UK jury and mentors, I think have similar comments that people who participate in our programs are really motivated. And this is really the strongest asset and that they've never seen uh, motivation on that level because usually students or people who participate in their local programs usually come there to get another thing in their CVs or you know, just to finish up a course or something like that. So I think this is really our benefit and something that we do promote as one of the pluses. On the other hand, business knowledge and pitching to investors is something that definitely we should work on in the future. And we try to push that to startups and to just present them as something that is necessary. Because as I mentioned, everyone from startups from Serbia, see that as really not necessary because we have great technology and we're solving this amazing problem with, with our new solution. And so this is everything that we need, but we are trying to somehow implement in the least painful way that you know it's also necessary to make a business plan and present in the nearest future your next steps and potential exit, exit strategies and everything else. So I, I think this is actually what we will put our focus on in the next period and in the working startup. 
I think that your approach is, is really good and, and hands-on because there are a lot of programs that you have eventually that kind of the aim of the entire program is kind of a demo day. And I think that you, you look at it in a more practical way because not always you get invested. <laughs> Probably it's not very common that after the demo day, startups are, that's it. We're set for life with the initial funds. And if, if you are doing any innovation or acceleration program, you need to to live with tools that will leave you independent also to start your own path. And I was actually one of the people who taught business models and, and other skills like this. So I think it was very hands-on and very efficient. I feel that we reached a point in the acceleration world that we have a lot of more of the same and a lot of entrepreneurs kind of who already did something before are not finding the value anymore. And I wanted to ask you, what do you think about that? Kind of how can you keep relevant in a very rapidly changing innovation world? I think the only way is for you to change in parallel. That's something that the only constant, the change is the only constant (laughs) for your startup and for yourself. I think even in Health Club, uh, the initial idea evolved through what we have done and what we have experienced and what other people suggested. And, you know, we kept trying and we're still experimenting. In with, of course, we have a set course of some basic things, but we always have this playground where we try new things, whether financing or events or things like that. And I think this is some kind of motor that motivates us as well and both of us as co-founders really like to innovate and to play around and to always think about new things and how can we improve this or do this differently or do this in a unique way and so on but i'm not so worried about that because i think most of entrepreneurs think like that you know if they fail in one startup they just think about some other thing or other problem or other challenge that they would like to tackle and think they would move on quickly with this team or with another team yeah it's, it's all in your head kind of i always said it's all in the state of mind like i failed a bunch of, of startups and I, I call it my startup school you know i just learned how to do it better next time and things that you learned you know you can you can learn online a lot of things about business model and market fit and how to kind of work very lean and create a very fast mvp and not waste a lot of resource time but eventually it's all about the team and the people you choose and your mindset of success what do you see as success why do you do your startup and in our world in health tech i think that if you're not here to change the lives of patients the lives of doctors to save lives i think you're in the wrong Place because the business we wish here to make a lot of money it's not enough because it's going to be a very very hard journey for you i think do you agree with that that you need to have some sort of a, kind of a drive more pure in our health tech startup world definitely yes i think if you're a patient you definitely have your own motivation and if you're not you're probably in this world because you would like to help other patients or the medical system or like to make a novel solution. And so, as I mentioned before, I think that main goal or motivation should be there always. And you should know why you're here at every point, because otherwise, definitely there is no point. So I also heard recently, and this was probably a question also in my head, you know, you always think whether you should keep pushing when something is failing or you should just give up and what's the right moment. Because usually most of the advice is go to bed or you should be resilient and push and, you know, and then there is this other 
group of people that are advising giving up and starting something new. And I think this is always, always it comes to that your own feeling and your own intuition and your own actually vision of what you want to achieve. So you can pick up a lot of information from outside, but then, you know, you have to have your own clear goal. I can agree with you more. And um, I think that eventually it's all come down to kind of a very personal motivations and how you view the world, I think. I've seen a lot of situations in which people are looking at the world with the kind of cloudy glasses and everything will fail when you look at it like it. And I'm not saying that everything is pink and beautiful, but eventually you have to be optimistic. Like as an entrepreneur, you have to see some sort of success in your eyes because otherwise you wouldn't make it. It's a tough journey. I wanted to, to ask you, we kind of were closing into the last 10 minutes, two things I want to ask you. And the mm-hmm. first thing will be about your own revolution that you did in your life. You know, uh, you could have a maybe comfortable life having a career in Belgrade, but you went and done the, the hardest thing you can do probably, <laughs> uh, the pursue a PhD in one of the world's top universities. So if you can tell us more about that, like why did you decide to take the hardest path and what was your motivation? That's something I really want to hear about. Yeah, thanks. I'm still on that path. It's not done. So, you know, discussing uh, success or discussing failure, it's still not final in my head or in my life on that side. So I, I studied physiology and I was really inspired of physiology and pathophysiology and how it all works. And through several of my internships, I've met with a few engineers. And I really love that area of actually not just learning about processes and how things work when everything is good and how they work when when something is wrong, but also, you know, how can you then repair something that is not working properly? And this is what engineers do. So it was new kind of thinking. And I decided to go to bioengineering systems at MIT Portugal program and become an engineer and uh, design solutions that would tackle diseases or basically those pathophysiological processes. And I was always inspired, I think, since summer school in Berlin with uh, heart regeneration. So heart is an organ that, unlike skin, it cannot regenerate itself. So when you make a scar on the skin, you know, it regenerates itself and it's soon enough you have a new skin, but it's not the same situation with the heart. And there are a lot of approaches in the last years, decades, to actually think of a novel way to do that uh, with the minimal invasion. And this was actually the topic of, of my research. So these were two groups in Portugal and in Boston at MIT. And as all biotech solutions, it takes a lot of time and investments, and this is still ongoing, but hopefully with the success in the end. Definitely, there were a lot of challenges. Uh, first of all, just if I mentioned that there are two labs and two different universities and geographies and conditions and so on. So it was really, really challenging. And what I've heard also, it's something I, I like to repeat. Uh, I heard that at MIT and really resonated with me and how I live and how I think and so on. And it's MIT attracts people who like to resolve challenges that have less than 1% probability to be resolved. So, you know, it's my main motivation for my PhD and then also for Health Tech Club, as I mentioned. This um, is super cool. <laughs> you know, because it's 1% you're talking about. <laughs> less so than 1%, but less yeah. Less than 1%. <laughs> so it's kind of the, you know, if you ask any Jewish mom, she will tell you, like, uh, just don't do that. Just go study <laughs> medicine. You know, you're already almost there or 
you know, be an engineer, be a lawyer, do the go to go to research, go to high tech. But I think that something that resonated with me than what you said that it's all about connection. It's all about meeting new people. It's like particles colliding. You you meet the person, it changes your life. You hear somebody speak and, and you see a new challenge and then you kind of align yourself. And I think that a lot of these amazing stories about people who change stuff or, or revolutionizing the world, they didn't plan to go exactly that path. And it was a lot of people that they meet along the way or programs that they attended that actually made them change their mind or connect the dots. You know, you're you're a physiologist and, and now you're actually doing innovation management. It's not something that it's very natural exactly uh, to one another. But you know, that's, that is also something that people used to ask me. Okay, you studied uh, physiology and then you did a PhD in bioengineering and now you're innovation. It doesn't make sense, but it actually, it's all connected. You think about biology, as I mentioned, that is presenting some of the basic, basic laws of nature and you learn about them. And then in engineering, you learn, you know, how to make solutions and drugs and therapies that could recover some of the mistakes of the nature, let's call it that way. And in order for those solutions in engineering to reach the patients or to reach the end users, you need this innovation pathway. You need this way of translation. You need those solutions from the lab to come to patients. And somehow I always like to learn the whole path, right? From the beginning to the end. And this is what I did. So it's actually all connected and it makes sense. It's very interesting. For me, at least. (laughs) It it makes sense to me, too, because, uh, you you know, I thought, like, I made my own revolution from my bed through my own body. You know, I I diagnosed myself and I had to come up with specific protocol to to actually, for diagnosis or for rehabilitation. And and eventually, uh, I could have just taken it and go on with my path, go back to medical school. But I decided that, hey, I learned so much about myself not only about my body, but about how to innovate my own thoughts and how to innovate mm-hmm. a bit healthcare because I had to hack healthcare. And then I said, why not teaching others to do it and why not sharing it with the world? So I think it, for me, at least, it totally makes sense that you saw the parallel lines. And yeah, you also you, did the impossible. You decided to hack the medical system and to diagnose yourself, <laughs> which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, still, it's still a long way to go. Yeah, thank you. But people ask me and I always say that I, I've done nothing yet. Like there is, it's not even scratching the surface of what I want or can do to help other patients and empower themselves and to, to, to fix healthcare and to hack healthcare. And like you mentioned, it's all about ever-changing. You need to change yourself and to, to adapt yourself in order to come up with new challenges. You know, when you're a young entrepreneur, you think you solve the, the, the greatest challenge in the world, and then you see it's only one out of thousands, and the job is never ending. And I wanted to ask you, actually, because uh-huh. we're talking about changing kind of the mind and how to hack ourselves, to hack systems. Do you have anything you want to ask me before we're finishing? Oh, wow. Yes, I have a lot of questions, Um, but I can ask you at the moment, what are your plans of interconnecting Israel and Austria to begin with? And then I would also include Serbia, you know, are you thinking about some joint programs or collaborations or something where we could also contribute, collaborate? 
Definitely. First of all, I, I kind of... Is there a possibility, you know, to, to join those two ecosystems from your experience? I think that it's kind of even completing each other. It's, it's a beautiful question because in Israel, we have the spirit and the know-how of the kind of the innovation. And um, in Serbia, you have the, the spirit and the science and all the basic knowledge. And, and you need to learn more about how to bring it into market. And in Austria, I think Austria is, it can be the kind of not Silicon Valley, but maybe biotech value of, of, of Europe, because I think that Austria and medical research is just something that is incredibly high level. And of course, we have it in Israel, we have it in Serbia, but there is mm-hmm. something here that is very, very, very scientific-oriented, academic-oriented, and the transfer is very, very uh, smooth between like universities inventing something and going to market. I think that what we should do, and it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time, is that we can actually replicate your health tech lab to both Israel and Austria, but in different varieties. Because in Israel, it's hard to teach maybe people how to be entrepreneur, mm-hmm. but you can teach them a lot about going to market using the resources that you already have. And in Austria, they, they can benefit a lot from, from both of our experience. So I think that definitely copy-pasting your club and doing some joint uh, stuff there is something I would love to do. I have a charity in Israel that we're uh, doing health education, especially in schools. And we're using a lot of innovation management tools to teach kids how to invent health tech solutions. So it's maybe interesting to Serbia to take it to younger ages. Yeah, definitely. Too. That sounds interesting. This is something I would really love to do. And of course, cooperate with you, Demi. And it's, it's been a pleasure working with you so far. And also in the patient side, you know, I've heard something that really made me sad that there is no official POTS in the stomach community in Austria. No. And when I ask people, they tell me it's a shame to speak about being sick. And it really broke my heart because I know about patients that talk to me uh, from Austria about their illness and they're reluctant to to kind of bring their story forward. And I think that uh, another thing that we can do is kind of maybe... I I think this is a great point because this was also really first hackathon where we brought, brought patients, of course doctors, but patients who pitch their own challenges. I think the whole community was really touched and you know shocked and we produced some kind of effect and emotion that everyone wanted to help on the one hand and then also I think talking about those challenges and you know learning about them it simply makes their lives easier even if you don't make technological solution but you know presenting that in a larger community and I think it brings another kind of value to the community and then to the patients as well and I think this is what is also really useful in, in, in everything that we're trying to do. I think that it's even groundbreaking because we did, I think, I don't know if it was the first in Austria, but at least one of the first when I was the, uh, the patient in residence for the Ludwig Boltzmann Institute here in Austria, we did a, a hackathon using engineers and medical students and, and patients. But the patients, uh, most of them didn't even want to attend because of the same problem. And um, what you did, giving stage to patients, was so amazing because the effect on the patient in terms of empowerment that somebody comes, especially for him or her, yeah. to solve their problem. 
this is something I want to do again. And maybe this is the easier way we can start, by the way, maybe having kind of an online hackathon to solve challenges, either in diabetes or POTS, because it's easier for us because of our access. And this is something we can definitely start with. And this is what I love about this podcast, that it's not only talking, it's also doing. So, Yay. <laughs> I'm super excited. Um, yes, we can talk for hours. And this is amazing that we have so much to, yes. to discuss. I liked your idea and your proposal. So yeah, we can definitely organize some collaboration. In that. And I would love to keep, the, keep our audience updated about what we're going to do. And, and <laughs> everything is about revolutionizing uh, lives of people, but especially for me, because it's such important topic for me to revolutionize patients' lives. And if, if we can do something about it, it would be amazing. I don't know if you noticed, but we have been talking for an hour exactly. Yeah. Right and it was really was great. Yeah. It was amazing. And thank you so much for taking the time and joining me into this lovely conversation. I will tell everyone that, of course, you will be able to read more about the Health Tech Lab and Imagine Eve program and Ivana's work and even Damien's work, uh, I'm going to link it down below. It's going to be on, on probably on YouTube too in some version and on all the podcast platforms out there and social media. I want to thank you so much again. And Thank to... you. It was really lovely. And definitely we can, we can make it a yearly event of <laughs> dating everyone and ourselves and what's going on. <laughs> I would love to. And, and it's so, I'm so happy that my first guest is a friend for first and foremost, it's not kind of a regular interview that, you know, you just ask pre-made question, but it's kind of beautiful, open discussion and you come out with actually ideas to change stuff. That concludes another episode of Revolution from Your Bed. Thank you again so much, my dear friend, Dr. Ivana Kostic. And please stay tuned for the next episode. We're going to discuss how to deal with family and friends while you're trying to heal yourself on your chronic illness journey or dealing with some tough time. Thank you so much and see you soon.